we heard this morning that the, the world, even the Christian world around us, is embracing doctrine that is not even biblical. It doesn't even come out of Scripture. Embracing things that God never said, and they're, they're saying that this is, this is true. This is what God has said. And so we want to break down a few things tonight. First of all, four walls don't make a church, do they? We are out here worshiping the God of all creation in his creation and enjoying it thoroughly, at least on my part. I, I'm loving this weather. Usually that sun's bursting right through the trees and in my face, and you guys are all sitting back in the shade. And, ha! Tonight I get it too. All right. The other thing we want to break down is one of the things that can sometimes keep people from coming into a relationship with the God that created them. It's, it's that ages-old question of, how could God love me when I've fill in the blank, whatever it might be? And we put a roadblock in between our, ourselves and the Lord, secretly imagining that in some way we need to do something. and We need to do something good in order to make up for that something bad that we have harbored in our hearts or, or done in our lives at some point. In order to get into God's good graces, I can't come to God until I've fill in the blank. He won't love me until I fill in the blank. I've done more good than bad, whatever it might be. I've fed orphans or whatever. So tonight, let's get some things out in the clear and into the open. Not from our own misconceptions of who God is and how he works, but from God's point of view and according to his own word. Let's start by doing something that, uh, that uh, start with an exercise that I call fully realizing our sinful, sinfulness, our sinful condition before God. Are you ready? It's a fun game. And as we play it, we're going to ask ourselves, is there a sin that God cannot heal? Is there a sinner that God cannot restore? So let me ask you this. What is the worst thing you've ever done? Don't raise your hand and don't answer out loud. What is the worst thing you've ever done? Think about it. Start to compile a list in your mind. And, and be sure, don't, just skip, don't skip the small stuff, okay? Let's start really compiling a list. And, and don't forget that reallocated paperclip from the office. Or pulling your sister's hair just because. Or that hard heart that you might have had towards someone or still have towards someone in your life. Well, let's just go through the big ten, why don't we? You shall have no other God than the God of creation, the God of Scripture. Our gods are the things that we worship. They are the things that, the, the persons or things or ideas that influence our lives, that, that guide our desires, that we give priority to, that we work for, that we yearn to be with. Is it the big house? Is it the... The 2.5 kids and the dog and the white picket fence. Is it the jet skis? Is it the, the house down the shore? What is it? You shall have no other God than the God who created you, who knit you together in your mother's womb. Has anyone or anything, even ourselves, me, have I taken the priority or place of God 
in my life at, at any given time. And that's just the first one. You shall make, have, or worship no idols. No image can compare to God. Any image we make would pale in comparison to the God who has existed infinite, eternal, and uncreated. Nothing created can possibly compare to an uncreated God. Nothing can replace him. Nothing can resemble him. No saint, no icon, no idol. Nothing in creation can compare to the God who created it. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. Don't use his name nonchalantly, without reason, without purpose, in an illegitimate way, or as we know so many times if you've gone to the movies, don't use it as a curse word, right? It's probably the most common way to use Jesus. Has anyone here ever said Jesus, but you actually weren't talking to him? Or, or oh God, but you didn't really want him to give you an answer. As our worship pastor has so keenly pointed out in a couple of services recently, as a culture, we are so ready to sing hallelujah. And what does hallelujah mean? Praise the Lord. When we don't actually mean to say praise the Lord, we don't want to actually garner the attention of the God of all creation. Remember the Sabbath day. Setting aside regular time to, to dedicate our lives to worship and study and prayer to God. Living a life of worship as Christians. Honor your father and mother, especially between the ages of 2 and 17. No, that part isn't in there. But the honor your mother and father is. And that goes from the day we're born to the end of our lives. What's the first word the kids learn? If it's not mama or dada, it's... No! Don't murder. And just when all of you thought you had gotten away with that one, remember that Jesus qualified that with saying, it means don't even hate someone in your heart. Don't even harbor that hard heart against someone. Oops. Don't commit adultery, or as Jesus said, don't even lust after someone. Do not steal or reallocate paper clips from the office that don't belong to you. Do not lie, even the little white ones. The ones that we say are, are to protect the ones we love, and, and they'll just be better off without knowing, right? I'm, I'm doing it for their good. Last but not least, do not covet things that are not your own. How you doing? How long is your list at this point? How deep is the ditch that we have dug? And do you think there just might be something in there that you've forgotten? Something that you left off your list? A sin or two that you didn't even notice or might not have even recognized at the time? God even set up sacrifices for those unintentional sins in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 4. Remember that even the smallest sin against a perfect, holy, and righteous God will have an eternal impact and an eternal consequence. How you doing? If we're being honest, even a brief consideration will begin to show just how awful and stained we are before a perfect and a pure and a holy God. So is there a sin that God cannot heal? 
Is there a sinner that God cannot restore? Can my list that I've made going through those Ten Commandments, can that list be too long for God to redeem? Now that you've weighed yourself down with that list, I have some good news for you. Whatever may be on your list, no matter how heinous, how awful, or whatever it may be, no matter how bad you can manage to make yourself out to be, and we can manage to make ourselves out to be pretty bad if we really were honest, especially when we don't compare each other to each other, but we compare ourselves to perfection. We compare ourselves to God. No matter how long your list might have been tonight, or as you think about it as you go home, Paul, God's chosen servant was worse. God's chosen servant was worse. According to God's word, Paul was the foremost of sinners. And according to our passage tonight, Jesus came into the world to save sinners, even Paul. If you have your Bibles, why don't you open up to 1 Timothy? It's right after the Thessalonian books, First and 2 Thessalonians, and then you got 1 Timothy. Chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 12. First Timothy chapter 1, starting at verse 12, it says, I thank him, this is Paul speaking, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, and the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul tells us in this passage that he was a blasphemer having reviled Jesus, cursed him, and persecuted the church. He was an insolent opponent of Jesus and the church, advocating the murder of Christians. He was ignorant and unbelieving. He sought to destroy the very thing that God was seeking to build. Paul stood in direct opposition to God. And his plan of salvation for the world, for anyone who would come to him. Paul was an enemy of God. But Jesus, God himself, showed Paul mercy. His grace overflowing on Paul. He brought Paul to faith and the love of Christ Jesus. Restoring Paul to God, reconciling him to his creator, 
bringing him to eternal life in Christ Jesus. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Now, if God, this is God's word. 1 Timothy is a letter to us from God. And if, if God considered Paul to be the foremost of sinners, it says it right here in verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Accept this right now. This is a fact. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom Paul was the foremost. If God considered Paul to be the foremost of sinners, the worst of them, and yet God would condescend to give Paul mercy and grace, bringing Paul to faith in Jesus Christ and a full understanding of God's love for him. Pull out that list that you made earlier. What is there on your list that can outdo God's love for you? If God has said, Paul is the worst of the worst, can you be worse than Paul? I guarantee there's nothing on your list that God does not already know about. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed. That makes you real comfortable, doesn't it? We are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Anything you left off that list that you made earlier, he knows about that too. God knows it all and he still wants you to know him. He still wants you to be reconciled to him. God chose Paul on purpose. He took the worst of sinners and restored Paul to himself in Jesus Christ. He chose Paul to be an example to us, an example that there is none whom God is not patiently waiting for. There is no one past his desire to save or beyond God's love. Verse 16 of our passage. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Paul was our example. As Paul says just a few verses later in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, God our Savior desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. What is that truth? What truth does God want us to come to? Right after that he says, For there is one God 
And there is one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Which is the testimony given at the proper time. Before this, there was a man named Job. Lived long before Paul. Long before Jesus Christ had come. Before the second person of the triune God had taken on flesh and given up that flesh. And, and Job lived at a time when he had to say, God is not a man as I am. That I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on both of us, God and man. Now we can look back at what Christ has done and we can say there is an arbiter. There is an advocate. Now we have a mediator before God. In Christ Jesus, we have someone who can lay his hand on both God and man. Because in, in Christ Jesus, we have God in the flesh. God who condescended to take on a human body just like you or I have. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in verse 14 of that chapter it says, And the Word, the Word that was God and was with God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. While the wages of our sin is still death, and, and death is, is that being separated from God and all of his goodness forever, and, and that is exactly what we deserve. That's exactly the price to pay for our sin. While death may be what we owe for our sins, that, that wonderful list you made earlier, right? There is now one who can pay that price, who can pay that price for us, and that is why Jesus went to the cross. To die in our place for the forgiveness of our sin. To nail that list, to take that list that you made and to nail it to the cross that you would bear it no more. To nail it to the cross and all of its legal requirements. No matter what it may amount to, no matter how long that list might be, the blood of Jesus Christ is worth infinitely more. As infinite eternal God went to the cross for us and tasted death for us all. And all we need to do is accept that gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. Let him strengthen you. Receive his grace his mercy, and his love for you and be brought into eternal life that is found in Christ alone. There is not another way. There is not another option. It is Christ and Christ alone who provides salvation and reconciliation to the God of creation. Did you notice in our passage what Paul did to be saved? Go ahead. Take a look at, at that First Timothy passage, verses 12 to 17. What did Paul do to be saved? What did he do to earn God's love and salvation? 
I thank him who's given me strength. He judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, appointing me. Formerly, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent. I received mercy. I acted ignorantly in unbelief. The grace of the Lord overflowed for me. The faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I'm the worst of sinners. What did Paul do to be saved? To earn God's love and salvation? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It was God who loved him and strengthened him. It was God who showed him mercy and grace. It was God who brought him to faith in Jesus Christ and appointed him to his service. It was Jesus who saved him. All Paul did was to act ignorantly in unbelief. All Paul did was to be the chief of sinners. In our sin, we cannot and would not earn the righteousness of God or, or, or forgiveness of our sins for ourselves. In our sin, we are dead. Just as Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, and you were dead. In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Our righteousness, if we have any, according to God's word, is like filthy rags before God. It's not about our works or our ability to earn our own salvation. It's entirely about God. Verse 17, it says, To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Truly. Amen. His goodness, his love, his grace, his mercy, his righteous imputed to us in Christ Jesus. What's our memory verse for this month as a church we're taking it on? It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, right? For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And having been saved, having accepted the salvation that is in Christ alone, Paul's life changed. He repented of his sin. He turned away from it and began to walk with Christ. He began to live for Christ in his newfound salvation. He says he was formerly a blasphemer. God changed his heart, changed his mind. He had acted ignorantly and in unbelief. God changed his heart. God had changed his mind. And now he served the Lord. See, God saves us where we are. No matter where your list might be, have ended. He saves you where you are, but then he doesn't leave us there. He takes us into a process of sanctification. He makes you perfect before the Father, and then he continues to sanctify us, to make us more like Christ in the way we think and the way we live. Who do you serve? Who will you leave this place right here and right now and serve? As you go home, as you go to work, who will you serve? 
Do you have a God besides the one that created you? Do you serve a God that will only bring you temporal and earthly comforts for a time, money, whatever it might be? Or will you serve the God who can give you eternal life? Is there a sin that God cannot heal? Is there a sinner that God cannot restore? And I know what some of you are thinking, because some of you are, are those fancy kind of Bible scholars out there. There's that unforgivable sin, right? Don't tell me there's, there's no sin that God cannot forgive. The only unforgivable sin is to refuse the person and works of Jesus Christ. To refuse the salvation plan of God to wittingly reject who Christ is and what he has done for you. But if we would only dare to humble ourselves before him, recognizing our sin and repenting of those sins, if we would only receive the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in our place at the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, realizing that it's not about what I can do. It's entirely about what Jesus did for me. You can be reconciled to God today. If you want to talk about that, if you have any questions, by all means, come and talk with me after the service. I would love to talk with you. If the Spirit is working on your heart right now, talk to me, talk to Pastor Kevin or Pastor Mike, or there's anybody who goes to Alden Union Church, I'm sure they would love to talk to you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time of worship. We thank you, Lord, for, for the sky and the trees and the intricacies of your intelligent design that remind us that there is a creator. We praise you, Lord, for mosquitoes that remind us we live in a fallen world. But you are God infinite, God eternal, God of grace, God of mercy. God who loves us more than we can possibly imagine. The God who sent your son to take on flesh, to die in our place, and to be resurrected. To know life again and to give us in that resurrection the hope of everlasting life ourselves. We praise you, Lord, for tonight and this time of worship in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.